this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, Brother Man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the original Long Island Iced B himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Well, Dan, <clears throat> I survived my date with Adalia last week, which is more than I can say about most of my dates. Oh, geez. Do, do I even want to know? What, Adalia? The hurricane? <laughs> oh, I, I, I honestly thought this was going to end up as another one of your uh, <laughs> dog walker jokes or something. No, no, no. No, well, I, I know you're back in Florida. You were here with, with us in Virginia for a while, so you, you survived everything good storm front. Everything, yeah, everything's fine. Excellent. Well, Benny, we uh, we did a good run. Um, a bunch of the shows we've done recently have all concentrated on uh, the women's side of wrestling, uh, and we're going back to that tonight. So we've got a third face joining us this evening. Watch everybody who's online with us. Yeah, uh, Dan, we've had uh, several great ladies of the 80s on our show, and here's another one. Although her career extended actually into the, uh, you know, well into the new millennium. And, you know, it's become a Dan and Benny thing lately to uh, bestow new nicknames to our guests. So Ron Shaw is now the Earl of Upsets, which he, a name he wears proudly. And uh, we, we named Bugsy McGraw the, the Shaman of Sick Power. And although our guest is known throughout the wrestling world uh, community as the Boston Bad Girl, I'm proposing that we christen, christen our guest, the uh, Siren of Situate. And now nicknames aside, she's a member of the New England Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame and has been honored by the Cauliflower Alley, Alley Club. And I'm very pleased to welcome Brittany Brown to Dan and Benny in the ring. Brittany, welcome. Thank you so much, you guys. I'm looking forward to talking to you. How's the nickname? You like it? I love it. Okay, good. It's all yours. Thank you so much. That's what we do. Unlike anybody on the Yankees, Benny, you're batting a thousand with these oh, nicknames yeah. recently. My LPS is about yeah four billion. <laughs> well, Brittany, we uh we again we appreciate we appreciate you, your time joining us, but we always want to start with the same question because uh it's really interesting. Everybody gives us a different answer. You know, we, we love to kind of get the ground uh, excuse me the ball rolling, kind of set the foundation. Uh, so we ask everyone this, but I think um, I want to start Sing Lancer. Uh, when when did the wrestling bug bite you as a fan? So just as a fan, I was like, you know, five, six, seven, watching it with my dad. We loved it. We loved the heels, which I didn't even know what, you know, what that was then. But we loved the bad guys, obviously. And, of course, my mother was in the other room screaming that she didn't want that on, not in front of the children and all that kind of stuff. You know, so um, it goes all the way back as far as I can remember. Absolutely loved it. Now, Brittany, growing up in the Northeast, so I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the old WWF. Um, I can only remember back to WWF, and that's all. WWF, that we, okay. Yeah, that's all that we saw. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I have some friends of the same age that lived in different states, obviously, and they're like, "What do you mean you didn't get to see the Von Erichs?" And I'm like, "No." 
So, you know, that's all we had where I was. So who what who are your favorite heels? Well, Moolah, of course. Right. Right. And um, I think I started watching at like the tail end of Kowalski, uh, the very tail end of him. He was older then. And, you know, I, I mean, I loved I, I kind of liked the managers the most, like the Grand Wizard. I just loved his cockiness and oh, yeah. classy Freddie Blassie. I loved, you know, the slogans and the little the, the things that he said. And of course, you know, who didn't call their friend a pencil neck geek? Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you, uh, I guess we we had Tony Rose on our show and her and Donna Christianello were like the top women's tag team in the uh, Northeast. Was that uh, before your time? Yeah, a little before my time. Yep. Okay. All righty. So now when did you decide that this was going to be something you did, you know, for a vocation, for a living? Well, you know, I I never really decided that. I just like, it, it was something I always wanted to do, but I never thought I would do because I figured, how would I find these people? And, you know, back then all you had was the yellow pages and you're not going to find Mueller or Killer Kowalski in there, right? <laughs> so, operator from Mueller. Right? So I I saw an ad in the local, you know, Boston paper for this guy that was going to train wrestlers in a city that was about, I don't know, maybe 25 miles from me. It ended up being a scam. Um, so oh. thank God I brought my dad with me because the guy showed up. But when he saw my father with me, he left. Um, so it ended up being a scam. He was going to take my money and, you know, screw. <laughs> um, but, you know, he saw my dad with me. I think I was 19 or 20 at the time. And um, it's just always something I've always brought my dad with me, no matter where I went. The first time I went to Moolah's, I even brought him. We flew down there together. And, you know, he just kind of he wanted to check things out, make sure it was legit, especially after what happened to me. Um, And that kind of gave me the bug there when I saw that ad and I got scammed. I was like, nope, I'm going to do this. And then somehow I found out, I don't remember how, but I found out uh, the Fabulous Moolah's real name. And I literally called 411. I'm not kidding you. I called 411 Columbia, South Carolina, because that's where she was from. And I asked for the number. I got the number. Never in a million years did I think it was really going to be her. But it was. And that's how it all started. So she answered the phone? She did. Wow. That's crazy. Yep. And I, I just never dreamed it was really going to be her number. So I, I figured, you know, I was going to get the, eh, eh, eh. this call is not going to be completed. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or it would be some like family that I was interrupting their dinner and they'd be like, who? <laughs> but yeah, so that's how it all started. And, you know, she wrote me a really nice letter. We exchanged addresses and wrote me a really nice letter and we talked for a while and a few times and and then my father and I ended up getting tickets and we went down there and Donna picked us up at the airport and I learned all about the school and registered and that's how it all began. Yeah, Donna as in Donna Christianella, right? Yes. Okay. She was one of Mula's main trainers? Yes. Okay. She was the trainer of the brand new girls. I gotcha. Yep. So that's how it all started. Wow. 
Well, before we get, I mean, obviously we want to get into your, your training. So we've had a lot of, like I said in the intro, Benny and I, we've had a lot of uh, women wrestlers on the show who were trained by Moolah. We did a, a whole series and, I mean, you weren't in South Carolina. You commuted back and forth from, because you, you correct me if I'm wrong, you were working at the time. So you commuted weekly from Massachusetts to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, you were 20. I, that's got to be an exhausting trip. I, I mean, was this, kind of walk us through how you got back and forth before we get too much into the actual training, like just getting from from Massachusetts to South Carolina weekly. Yeah, so it was it was super easy and it was super cheap at the time. Um, there was an airline called People's Express and it was ninety nine dollars round trip. And I got out of work on Friday, left my car at Logan Airport, jumped on the plane, and I had you know like a standing reservation every Friday night, and um, off I went. And then got back on Sunday night late, took my car, drove back to Situate. And then went back to work the next day. And believe it or not, it was like that I never quit my day job, ever. And I had no intentions of ever quitting my day job. And I'm still doing the exact same thing I was when I was 20. Wow. Yep. So were you were you the only person who was a, uh, I guess, a part-time student? Yep. Yep. And they I accommodated was. you for that. that. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they were so... It was just so awesome. They were so nice to me. It was almost too good to be true. Like at the beginning, I was just like, all right, what, what am I missing here? Everybody's too nice to me. And, you know, <laughs> I, I never had a problem there and I never had anybody be mean to me. And, you know, Donna w- was always there to pick me up and she they treated me like family. It was really nice. And, you know, like I said, my dad only went on the first time going down there and checking the place out and me filling out the paperwork and all that. So then it was just me afterwards. And I lived on my own, too. I had my own apartment. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Now, I, I did know you stay you, at the you, compound on the weekend? Ahead, so? Yep. Okay. I, I know you, 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 you were 20. You said you were working and living on your own, but even being detached, were, were you, I assume, because you talked about your father coming and going, they were very supportive of, of how everything you were doing as far as your training and pushing yourself as hard as you would have and everything? My father was. Um, my mother was horrified. Um, they were split up uh, when I was 12. So, okay. um, yeah, but she was absolutely horrified what I was doing. And she went to over the I worked for 28 years in wrestling and my mother went to three matches and my father never missed one wow. in 28 years, no matter where it was. Um, so, yeah. And the first time she went, she cried. She could not understand why I was being booed. <laughs> Um, she was crying and she was saying, I'm a really good girl. Why are they being so mean to me? Why are they booing? Why are they throwing paper cups at you? Yeah. <laughs> Only a mother, right? Yeah, exactly. She, she just didn't get it. <laughs> Whereas my father absolutely loved it. And the, the more, you know, bad things that happened, the more he loved it. <laughs> So, Brittany, Mula is obviously a very polarizing figure. And we've had, you know, like I said, several guests who trained under her. And it's kind of most of them were actually quite harsh 
in their recollections of her. And I mean, from I've heard you, you know, do some previous interviews, you were kind of the opposite. But the constant accusation that we heard was that, you know, she got a booking fee, a percentage of the, the you know, the, the uh, fee, but that she skimmed a bit off the top of that. So did you experience that? And maybe the reason maybe you came a little bit later than the rest, and maybe that's why you didn't if you didn't. I mean, I, I never heard or saw any of that. And, you know, anything like that only came out recently after she passed away with that whole, you know, changing the name to the Mae Young and all that. That's the only time I've ever heard that. And I was pretty shocked by some of the things that were being said then and since, um, because I never witnessed anything like that, any of that stuff. Yeah, she would would what they would would say was that the promoter would pay instead of paying them, they'd pay Moolah and then Moolah would pay them. And, you know, in the translation, they lost a few bucks. See, to me, I don't know how that could happen, because if, for example, if I was going there and I was making three hundred dollars, if that's what Moolah told me I was making, then I would get three hundred dollars. Right. And if I didn't, then there would be a problem. But I, I never, but I you, never heard you, you anybody got paid say that. You expected? Yeah, I mean, never ever, and I never heard anybody else say that back then. You know, I mean, girls talk. Let's face it. I of mean, course, people yeah. talk. And before before the trainers come into the to the training area, the, uh, there's eight girls in there, and you'd think somebody would have said something like, "Oh, did you get your pay last night?" Because I didn't. I never heard that. Never. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, actually. I, I find it very interesting. I mean, that is true, though, because you never heard, this has only been like a last five year kind of thing. You right. never heard it before that. Absolutely not. And, and I'll tell you, as you can probably tell by my voice, that it, it's really annoying to me and it's very upsetting to me, the things that were said about her and you know, I, I just feel like if, if somebody's going to, like, crucify and villainize someone, do it while they can stand up for themselves. Right. I mean, all these girls had decades and decades and decades to say what they wanted to say, but nobody sure. said it till after she died. Yeah. Why? You know? Fair enough. Yeah, take it the uh, take it you weren't a fan of that that episode of Dark Side of the Ring then, huh? No. No. And I was horrified by some of the interviews that I heard on YouTube and, you know, different podcasts and things. I was just so shocked because some of the people I knew and I was there when they were there and I never heard or saw them ever act like this or say anything like this. So I was pretty shocked. Wow. Yeah. You you mentioned you said you were on the tail end of the Kowalski's time. Uh, obviously, you were talking about your round trip airfare, hundred bucks. Which, by the way, Benny, hundred dollars round trip is great. Last time I flew, I spent almost a hundred dollars just in bag fees. Right. But you uh, obviously trans uh, transportation started getting a little much, rising cost of airfare and whatnot. You transferred your training from Mula to Killer Kowalski, and you mentioned in a previous interview this resulted from a really chance encounter involving a car repair. You, you mind telling us that story? 
Yeah, this is, oh my goodness. So I was trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do? Because it went up almost four times. It oh, went wow. from $99 to $368. And obviously I'm like, all right, I'm living on my own. I'm 21 years old now. How am I going to get $400 a week? Impossible. So I was doing it. And I had my I had this classic Mustang that I was having completely rebuilt the body on it. So I was at a body shop in Hanover, Mass, and I was waiting for them to open. And I had like a friend, you know, that was going to give me a ride to work waiting for me to drop the car off. And there was I saw this big guy sitting in this little tiny Porsche and it looked, you know, pretty old. And, you know, I thought nothing of it because there was a couple other people sitting there, too, in their cars. Right. And when I got out of my car, when the owner came and I got out of my car, this guy got out of the Porsche and he looked over at me. He walked up to me and he said, wow, you're so tall. You could be a lady wrestler. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? How does he know I'm going to Moolah's? Right. He didn't. He honestly did not know. Just wow. because of my height. And he said, have you ever heard of Misty Blue Sims? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, this is her Porsche. I'm getting it fixed for her. You ever heard of Killa Kowalski? I'm like, yeah, of course. And he's like, geez, I should bring you down there. <laughs> and I'm like, where's there? And, and he's like, Boston, Mass. And I'm like, OK, well, that's like, you know, 30 miles from my house. It's no big deal, right? However, at that time, I had never like even been to Boston, never been to a big city or anything. So me going there the first time I went there with Tony, um, I went, I met his wife and, you know, made sure everybody was cool and all that. And then we went, I followed him to Walters and it was horrifying. The area that he was in was absolutely horrifying. And what I mean is, like, I was petrified to leave my car there because oh, wow. it was that hot rod that I had all redone. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's not going to be a door left on it. The hood will be gone. <laughs> the glass will be gone. Right. And I'm stepping over homeless people. I literally was horrified. I had never seen anything like that in my life. And then when I got up there all those girls were up there and I was just like, yeah, I don't think I fit in here. And then it was about maybe nine months to a year later that I said, you know what? I got to do this. I can't keep paying this. I don't have any more money, you know? So I had to do it. And by the time I did end up going there, all those girls were gone. There was only um, Cookie uh, she was still there uh, and, and she terrified me. She looked very scary. Um, and she shortly after I started, went to Japan and worked there for a while. And um, I was terrified of her and she couldn't have been more the opposite of what what I thought she was. Oh, so the first time you went to Kowalski school, you didn't you didn't sign up right there. You mm -mm. kept on the for a bit after that. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep, I just looked around and said, I don't think this is going to work out. <laughs> you know, I I did not want to drive in there ever again, I'll be honest with you. And school was four times a week. 
it was Tuesday and Thursday after work and then Saturday and Sunday. And I'm thinking, okay, my car and me lasted once. What are the chances it's going to last again, let alone four times a week? But I ended up doing it like a, a year later. I still had the same car and I did it. And it never, nothing ever happened to the car and nothing ever happened to me. Well, I did have a problem once with a homeless person. They tried to, you know, get money off me and grab my arm and stuff. And I just knocked them down and drove over them and left. You know? Drove over them? I did. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I panicked and drove over the guy because he tried to, you know, he he was touching me. (laughs) <laughs> did, did did we just have a uh, Marty Janetti moment here, Benny? Someone? No, no, no. Confession. I'm getting the dark side of the ring producers on the, is, on the phone right now. Is there right a statute now. of limitations on running over a homeless person? I'm not sure about that. Jesus. Well, yeah, because that would have been like 1985. That's, eh, I don't know. 38 years? Yeah, it's, he got up. I looked in the rearview mirror. He got up. Well, yeah, and he didn't report you, so I guess you're right. Yeah, no. You know, he yelled a few things and... He was there the next time I came, but and I can guarantee you he didn't touch me. All right. So, Brittany, at, at Kowalski's, you trained with a number of future stars, and I'm going to ask you about two in uh, two separate questions. So the first is uh, Paul Levesque, who, of course, of course, the world knows is Triple H, and yeah. you actually did work quite a bit with him. And so talk about the young H. Did, did you have any idea he, he would become the megastar that he became? I mean, probably not, because at that time, you know, we were all just it was just all of us. And you, like you you didn't know who just wanted to do it on weekends like me and who wanted to make it a career or a lifestyle, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, did I think he had it in him? Yeah, for sure. Just like Perry, uh, Saturn and John Cronus. The day that they walked in there, I just was like that. Now, those two I knew on day one. I knew on day one, just I saw what they could do on the first day. So those two, yes, I did. And as far as Paul goes, I mean, he he was just very shy, very quiet, uh, very humble. Um, I mean, I don't want to say not friendly, but but just shy. In in which, I mean, I was the same. So I saw him at every show. I saw him at every training. Always spoke. Always very nice. I've seen him since multiple times. Always speaks. Very nice. Always a handshake, a hug, you know, a very, very nice person. And I think um, he deserves everything that he got. And I hate when people say he only has what he has because he married the boss's daughter. That's ridiculous. You know, I mean, he was a star before he started dating the boss's daughter. And he, he was always, always a huge student of the game. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> now, because of the fact that there was a shortage of women there, you pretty much worked with him a lot, didn't you? Um, no, I mostly worked with Cookie. Um, okay, so she, oh, there was one left then. Yeah, and then there was a girl also that came in, Jamie West. She came in because um, Walter moved from Boston to Malden, and he rented space from uh, Richard Burns, 
who was a uh, karate instructor and a wrestler, and his champion was Jamie West. His league was the USWF, and he had her, and then there was two or three other girls there also. And then, you know, a few years down the road, uh, Ramblin' Rose and Violet Flame came and Alexa Starr. And, you know, most people didn't last, but some did. Some quit after like a year or six months or two years. But, yeah, there was a lot of girls. Certainly not compared to guys. I mean, there was 30 guys there and four girls. So, yeah. Now, Brittany, at one like at some point, were you considered a graduate though, or were you always a student there? Oh yeah, I, I was a graduate, but I, I didn't always go four days a week. I mean, once I started working and and you know and working for other promoters too, um, right. I would go maybe once a week, maybe twice if that, and then I just stopped going altogether right around the time Joni came. What year was that then? Oh, God, I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember, but she wasn't there very long. And and I just ended up not going anymore. Um, I was working every weekend and I really didn't have the time to keep, you know, I couldn't go there on the weekends because I worked, like I said, a full time job. And then I worked every Friday night, every Saturday night and sometimes on Sundays. And I was working in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, uh, Pennsylvania, even. So what kind of work did you do? Just out of curiosity. I do insurance. Okay. Yeah, I'm third generation. My grandpa and my dad both did that as well. Right. Well, continuing with the students, uh, Benny mentioned there were two. Obviously, Paul Levesque, the first. The other notable graduate is Joni Lauer, a, a known to the world as China. <clears throat> She's an interesting case because she was quite critical in her book about Kowalski and his training methods, his practices, which we talked – Benny and I were talking before the show is, – is really the only criticism I'd ever heard of him. We've had some of Kowalski's students on the show before, and they've all nothing but good things to say about his methods. Yep. Um, now, mind you, I mean, Kowalski is a man – uh, Bruno, um, you know, feuded with for years and he had, he had nothing but praise. And I mean that, how many times Benny, have we said on the show, if if Bruno respects you, that's really the only bar you need. Spoke volumes about him in his book. Yeah, exactly. And not just as a wrestler, but as a person. And Bruno was a, was, you know, known for being a judge of character and being a man of moral. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you mentioned that she, that she was the reason that you left the school, but kind of, I was hoping you could kind of expand, expand on that a little bit, elaborate on it. Sure. Yeah. So, um, she kind of came there with a vengeance. She d- had absolutely no idea what she was doing, which is normal. I mean, we all came there one day and didn't know what we were doing, didn't know how to lock up. Right. But she was going to kind of steamroll over everybody um before she knew how to lock up um and she decided that she would undercut the rest of us girls by 50 percent so when i heard that i i was just like you know what i'm not working for that because the lowest pay that i get is from walter and that was out of 
you know, loyalty to him. Um, everybody else was paying me two, three, almost four times what he paid me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm not going to work for half. So that's when I walked. And, you know, she did what she did from there. And, you know, there's a lot of um, interesting stories about her that a lot of people don't know, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, in other words, she worked for Kowalski for half of what you were going to work at? So Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I handed him back the belt and said, good luck to ya. you. Held that, you had that belt for years, didn't you? I did. And that was the, is the IWF? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep, I had that belt for years. Well, out, outside of uh, the, the character issues that I, you were so polite to circumnavigate, we talked about recognizing talent. She was such a unique presence when she first kind of ma- became mainstream. Was mm-hmm. she one that you saw and you're like, there's something here? Or was it, did, did you never get that far because of the personality? No, I never in a million years thought she would last more than six months. Oh, wow. She she was like really, really uncoordinated. Um, she was... I mean, you know what she looked like when she first started. And I was just like, yeah, this, this, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so I I had to have been the most surprised person in the world when she became what she became. I'll be honest with you. And I say, you know, absolutely. And I told her at WrestleMania 14, I went to the party with May and Moolah at the Boston garden afterwards. And I, I congratulated her and told her I was very proud of her and, and said, you know, you really amazed me. And I said, good for you. Congratulations. So that, and that was probably one of the last times we ever spoke. Wow. So, uh, Brittany, natural question. Why didn't you have a run in uh, the then WWF? And you you really didn't pursue this, but it was on the advice of of Killer Kowalski. And can you explain this in a little bit more detail? Yeah, definitely. Um, So they called either two or three times. I think it was, no, it was three times. Three times they called, and each time Walter said, absolutely not. It's not going to work. They're going to want you to quit your job, which you don't want to do. And I made that clear when I started that I didn't want to do that. and he said, also, it's just not going to work out with the outfits that you wear. He's not going to allow you to wear those outfits and you won't change them. So why bother? Why bother even doing one match for them? And, you know, I talked to him about it. I talked to my dad about it and I wasn't willing to change my outfits, which that wasn't the first organization that asked me to change my outfits. Um, and I didn't do it for them, and I w- wasn't going to do it for anybody. I mean, I had a style of what I wanted to wear, and I was pretty adamant about it. Um, reason being that I didn't like the fact that people looked at women's wrestling back then as just TNA. And, you know, I had people 
look at me like I was like a mud wrestler or, or an oil wrestler in like a bar room or something. And I was just like, no, you've got this confused because that's not at all what I do. And I don't wear skimpy clothes and there's no oil on me. And I mean, people just really, really, really misjudged what it was back in the 80s and the 90s. And um, I just wasn't willing to do the TNA thing. And, you know, Walter knew what they wanted in a girl and how they wanted her to dress and act. And he also knew that I had standards and morals and I wasn't going to change them for anybody. So that that's how that ended up. <laughs> Very nice. You know, it, it's funny. You, you don't think about it that the the just dynamic, uh, especially nowadays with with wardrobe being so intricate with some some performers that something as simple as you know you you look too much like a real wrestler it being a stopping block like how how sideshow attraction some some areas treated women's wrestling yeah yeah it was it, it was really bad i mean i even had an employer once um when he found out that he was the vice president of the insurance agency i worked at and he was absolutely horrified and and basically did compare it he actually compared it to jello wrestling oh geez um, yeah so i i actually was friendly with his wife because she was also in the insurance business and we were we became friends we worked in the same office and she was fully convinced that everything i was telling her was the truth so she told her husband and she made him come so they did come to one of my shows that I was working for Kowalski and he completely, completely accepted it after he saw that, after he saw how I dress, how I acted. Um, he saw my father there with me and he knew it wasn't what he thought it was the whole time. So I, I had a whole new level of respect from him. And I think he was a little afraid of me after that, too. <laughs> Probably heard about you running over that homeless guy. Probably. I don't tell too many people that. <laughs> well, I mean, we used to, you know, you didn't go to the WWF for, for, you know, your, your reasons and, and, but that didn't, that wasn't the end all be all. You were still very active in, in many promotions across the independent circuit, pretty much wrestling every weekend for, as you said, years. Yeah. Do you have a favorite promoter uh, or a least favorite promoter from, from that time? Um, You know, the only. Yeah. So my least favorite would be Tony Altimore. Um, Stopper. Yeah. Uh, so he would be the least favorite. And I mean, the, the favorite. God, I love Dennis Corluzzo. I, I love uh, Dino Santa, who's still running and you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, he was great to work for, um, you know, his ref, Dan, we're still friends today from way back then. And of course, I loved working for Walter and everybody, you know, being on the shows with the guys that I'm many of whom I'm still very, very friendly with today. Um, so, I mean, you know, Walter, Dennis Coraluzzo, Dino Santa, um, those were probably my favorites. And like I said, Tony Altimore, was the worst what why was he the worst Hang because he, he didn't just want you to wrestle no 
yeah. Hanging around Lou Albano too much, no doubt, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I, needless to say, I, I went down to Tony Altimore's in Orange, Connecticut and, and trained a few times, but that's as far as it went. I was booked on, I believe, six shows with him. And um, when he came to my hotel room and gave me some sad, uh, you know, phony story about his water not working at home and he needed to use my shower and all that kind of foolishness and, you know, putting his hand on my leg and saying, you can't say no to your trainer. I was just like, see ya. Bye bye. And uh, needless to say, I never worked for him because I was immediately pulled from all his shows. Now, besides the Northeast, I know you worked in Vegas. Where else did you work around the country? Oh, gosh, I worked in Wisconsin. I worked in Florida. I worked in England a few times. I worked in California. I worked in Oregon. Um, oh, there's a lot of places. <laughs> very gainfully employed throughout the years. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, somebody asked me once, could you have paid all your bills with just wrestling and i said yes absolutely but you're wrong to quit the insurance thing nope Mm -mm. and you said earlier you're still still working there so that's that's incredible yep full-time and i've been working from home for 15 years now oh wow and i've never been anything but full-time since i got my broker's license at the age of 20 what seven years ago yeah pretty much seven okay. eight you got it math yeah <laughs> so, so Brittany, who was your favorite opponent and was there somebody that you didn't care to wrestle against and you wrestled against many many stars of the 80s and 90s talk mm-hmm. about some of them so my favorite i have two favorite favorites that i felt like i worked the best with and and we made each other shine um, and, and these two really made me shine. Um, the first one was, um, I don't know if you remember Shelly Francis from LPWA. She Vaguely. was, uh, yeah, she was a student of Walter's also. And she, before she became Shelly Francis, she wrestled under the name Rosebud. Um, and she was very popular here in New England. And we were more of the same size uh, she was, you know, like an inch shorter than me. We pretty much weighed right around the same. And, you know, so it was much better than me going against, you know, like I remember I fought Linda Dallas once and I thought, my God, I feel like I'm working with a child because she was so little, you know, and I know that she's really, really little and I'm really, really tall. So there was a big, big difference there. Um, but it was it was a little bit awkward because she was so small and I am so tall. Um, so it was much easier and much more fluid for me working with someone closer to my own size and trained in the same style as I was. So she was my favorite. And then when I met um, Brandy Alexander, um, I met her working at a show in Connecticut and we kind of just really, really hit it off. And I started I really liked her work and I started booking her everywhere with me. Um, and, and she was 
a, you know, a little bit smaller than me, quite a bit smaller than me, but she wasn't, you know, she was average size for a woman. She was probably five, eight, you know, um, but she was very talented, very, very talented. And, um, you know, 10 years younger than me, really, really good. And she learned really, really fast. And she, I'm surprised she, she never um, went to WWE. I really am. Both of them, actually. Okay. Well, I, we're going to expand a little bit late, uh, later on on your heel dynamic. <laughs> I love the bit where you talked about your mom not liking you getting booed. Well, we, did you feel that it was easier to, to get booked being a, 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 the heel, the, the big heel that you were? or Because usually when you see promotions that have the one or two local girls, the, they're always kind of the face dynamic. Was it easier to come in as the heel or did you just kind of transition to what was needed? I just, you know, to be honest with you, I hated being a baby face. I, I probably only did it like two or three times in oh, 28 wow. years and I hated it. Every time I hated it. I just felt more myself, um, you know, being a heel. It was more me. It's more the real me. Like I tell it like it is. I tell you. If you're doing something that I don't like, and I mean, I mean, I guess you could say I'm a bitch. <laughs> Did your mom eventually wind up throwing stuff at you? Did you get that much heat? <laughs> well, my mom, no, she was just so horrified. Her, her sister, my aunt, had to get her out of there every time. She was just like crying and shaking. She was a drama queen, believe me. <laughs> But she 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 is the one that when I was like three years old said, you're going to be an actress someday. And she used to call me Sant Sarah Bernhardt. That's what she used to say. Yep. Yep. She so. wasn't that far off. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah, we didn't have the greatest relationship. Uh, I was more a daddy's girl. And I, I kind of sided with dad and, and you know, kind of went in that direction and. She went off and did her own thing, but you know she she did go to my first match, and she also went to the 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 night that I won my my first title, and um, then she also went to a local show maybe five years later, and that was the end of it. Okay. Whereas Dad went to every single one, no matter what country, what state. That's amazing. Yeah. It really is. That's yep. Very much so. Yeah, he, he actually checked himself out of a hospital once to oh, come wow. to one of my matches. And I, we had a secret knock, so he knocked on my dressing room door. I knew he wasn't coming because I knew he was in the hospital. So I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of weird. This will be the first time ever that my dad's not here. How weird. And I'm dressed and everything. And all of a sudden, the knock came on the door. And I went, the only two people that know that is me and him. <laughs> So I'm like, this is impossible. So I went to the door and there he was. And I said, what are you doing here? You have pneumonia. What are you doing? Oh, he's geez. like, can't miss a match. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I said, dad, you've seen me wrestle 150 times. And he's like, well, yeah, but not with Heidi Lee Morgan. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you're right. This is my first time with her. So come on in. <laughs> yeah, that's, a rest that's a true wrestling fan. That that's great. Talk about a fan. Yeah, he was the best. So, Brittany, we 
heard Kurt Angle's story many times that he won the Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck. And now my hero, Bruno San Martino, had suffered a broken neck at the hands of Stan Hansen. And very serious, you know, sometimes, most times career-threatening, sometimes life-threatening. But talk about how you initially sustained your broken neck and, and the resulting comeback. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay. So I mentioned Cookie, the girl that was at Walter's. Um, she was a, a tough cookie, no pun intended. But when she got booked to go to Japan, I had no girls to work with. And I didn't really want to work with guys. I, I'm still new. I'm shy. I'm that little girl from Situate. You know, I don't want to be putting my hands all over these sweaty guys. Right. So, I'm sitting there going, you know, Walter, what am I going to do? And he said, well, there's this new girl. Her name is Paula, and I'm going to have her work with you. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, we're working together. But there was this move that was new to me, and I had only done it with Cookie, and it had gone fine, but it was a sunset flip. And it had gone fine because Cookie had been around a while. She worked with guys all the time. Guys loved working with her. She was great. So I, for some reason, I just didn't want to do it with Paula. And I ran and I stopped and I said, Walter, I can't do it. I don't feel safe. And he screamed at me. God damn it. You're going to do it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Walter. Right. Um, so I, I, I ran probably three times and stopped and said I wasn't going to do it. And then he just made me do it. And she just pile drove my head into the mat oh jeez! and this was just on a blue high school gym mat this was at his old place in boston that did not have a ring so this was on a gym mat on a wood floor and that's how that happened and i not by choice by necessity figured i was all through because i mean it, it was bad. Did you know right away that you were seriously hurt? Oh, yeah. And so did he. So did he. I mean, when I, I blacked out and when I woke up, I felt tears streaming down my face and I just saw Walter's face in mine and he was just slapping my face. And, oh, it was. Yeah, I knew. I, mean, he, I knew. He had to have in his career seen enough neck injuries to know what had happened as soon as soon as you oh, landed, yeah. I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For him to get up off the chair and come over and kneel down and start slapping me in the face. Oh, yeah. He knew there was something wrong because, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought I was all done. And, again, not by choice, just because I knew how I felt. And it also got to a point um, within a few weeks, it got to a point that I wasn't even able to bend down and touch my knee or my toes or my calves or anything. Um Jeez. I was starting to wonder if, like, am I going to be paralyzed, you know? Um, and luckily, I had a team of people that made that not happen. But I also was really afraid at this point. So I just figured I was all through, you know? And I forged a friendship with Cookie. Cookie didn't drive because she was a city girl. And she took the train everywhere. But she needed to go to a show. And she asked if me and my dad would take her. For Mario Savoldi, it was a TV taping. So we said, sure, no, yep, no problem. So we jumped in my car. We all went. This was three years after I had the injury. 
and um, we're sitting out in the crowd, me and my dad, and she went in with her bag and everything. And she came out and she said, you got to help me. And I said, what's the matter? I thought she needed help with her outfit, you know, something, you know. And so I was going to go in the back and help her. And she said, oh, the girl didn't show up and this is for TV. I need you. And I said, what? I said, I can't. I haven't been in the ring for three years and I wasn't even around long enough. I think I had like two, two or three matches before that, that injury happened. So I was like, no, I can't. And on TV, well, I did. And I was back for 25 more years. There you go. So now you didn't, uh, you weren't training for a comeback. I mean, when you broke your neck for all intents and purposes, it was over for you then, right? Yep. So yep. That, 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 you know, come into the ring is, was totally unexpected. Oh, my God. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. And it was the worst match of my life, by the way. And I have it on video. And I think I've, I've watched it twice. And I haven't watched it for probably 20 years because it was so bad. And it's so embarrassing. So how long after that did you feel like you hit your groove back? Oh, geez. I mean, it was... I would say within six or eight months, I was at LPWA. Okay. Yep. So I was back full, you know, full time for me. I say full time, but full time for me, I was back um, wrestling. So, yeah. And I'm telling you, you know, I know a lot of the guys say it, and I don't know if anybody really believes this or not. But once it's in your blood, it is. It's in your blood and you can't get it out can't get it out we've heard that more than once for sure oh yeah 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 and it's like once i had that little taste of it and maybe even maybe even if that girl did show up and i just watched them and i sat there and said you know i wanted that to be me i wanted that to be me in there with her damn it i'm coming back you know that might have happened but i wasn't given that choice (laughs) She was like, you got to do this for me. And she had done so much for me at the beginning when I was so green and other, and other people might have been, you know, pretty rough with me. And she could have because she could have knocked me out. <laughs> um, this girl was tough and um, she didn't. And that's why everybody liked working with her because she was light as a feather. And she had the patience, as my mother used to say, the patience of Job, <laughs> whoever that is. But that's what she used to say. He wasn't a jober. <laughs> no. no. Do do the do the job. Do the job. <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? I have to give Cookie credit. That night, can you believe this? They made her do the job. Oh wow. And I did her the favor and they made her do the job. So I the felt cookie, an inch big. The cookie crumbled that night, huh? The cookie crumbled that night, but I'll tell you. Total pro, didn't care, appreciated what I did, and I probably would have been way worse if it wasn't against her in there. It was already bad enough, but much, much worse, and I probably would have been more injured if it wasn't for her, so I owe her a lot. (laughs) But that's how it happened. That's how I got back. That's awesome. Yeah. Weird, but cool. (laughs) Following your return, you had a very lengthy career uh, illustrious you you won titles all, all across the world um you, as as benny mentioned in your intro you were honored by the cauliflower alley club 
uh, inducted into the New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. I know our friends at the Cauliflower Alley Club just had their annual reunion banquet the mm-hmm. end of August. Several big names honored, mentioned. Um, I'm personally a, a lifetime member, so I, I'm always fond of the respect that comes from the Cauliflower Alley Club. And, of course, the New England Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, one of the premier pro wrestling hall of fames given the talent that's come out of the northeast um so i'm curious uh in a roundabout way do you have an accolade that you're most proud of um so i i would say the cauliflower alley club because back then the president was luthez and back then um the board was filled with like real legit hardcore old school um people and and when i say back then it's 1994 i believe is when i was honored and when i was honored it was the same night pedro morales was honored and um i'm trying to think of who else Pedro Morales, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, and I just sat there and said to myself, I can't, like, I almost can't even go up there and be on stage with them, because to me, they were like huge stars, and the fact that I was getting honored the same night by the same organization as them, and I stood there with my award in that group picture, wow, like, what an honor. That, so to me, that's the hugest one and um, one that just really touched my heart a lot was last year um, I was inducted. I was given the lifetime, one of the lifetime achievement awards at the ISPW, Tommy Fierro. I thought that was really, really nice. And I drove to New Jersey for that. And it was a very nice time. Saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a long time. And just the fact that I haven't wrestled in 11 years now and to be remembered and to be honored was kind of a big deal for me, too. That's definitely some illustrious company. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, we have when you mentioned Gorilla and Pedro from the early, early days of the WWWF and WWF, I mean, that's. Some of the some of the easily two of the greatest of their generation, and of course their contributions between the representations of Hispanics in wrestling, and then Gorilla Monsoon. I mean, the fact that to this day it's still called the Gorilla Position, like yeah. his contributions to wrestling can't be understated. That's that's amazing. No, it was unbelievable. I was like, I'm not worthy. <laughs> you know, did, but just, it, just curious, did they treat you like one of the guys, or were you? Or I should say one of the boys, I mean, because, you know, they, obviously everyone's on stage is equal at that point. Yeah. And, and I think that probably had part to do with um, the fact that Mueller and, and Walter inducted me. So, you know, they said what they said about me. And so everybody there, if they didn't know me, they knew who I was trained by. And they inducted me together. So, I, you know, I, that just was like probably the biggest night of my life and I didn't even realize it at the time like I did but I didn't you know what I mean um it was a huge deal I think my dad was like super super proud and you know I I had some friends there with me and everything and a bunch of people from Walter's 
school came and, you know, it was a really big night for me. And, and I don't think I realized how big of a deal it was back then. And the more time I spent in the business, I realized how important it really was, you know, and I, I was a big part of the Cauliflower Alley Club um, for for many years. Um, and I enjoyed my time very much there. It was great. Well, that's awesome. Transitioning as we as we wind down, I wanted to get your thoughts. Um, I, I know following other interviews you've done, you, you do watch and keep up with some of the modern product you, you have mentioned before, being uh, mostly AEW. Yeah. Um, Benny, we, we've had some some talks on the Dan and Benny page. Obviously, the big story that came out of AEW the last few days, I happened to be wearing one of his old shirts, um, was the, the termination of CM Punk's contract from AEW. As someone who, who knows the business and has been on the inside and has been a uh, professed AEW fan pretty much since the beginning, I'm really curious what your opinion is on the whole CM Punk story. Well, I think that there's two sides to every story, and I don't think everybody else knows that full both sides yet um and i think once it comes out then you know we could make good decisions but like right now i mean first the first thing that i heard was well jungle boy started it so he's the one that should have got let go then oh cm punk he's a cancer in the business he does this everywhere blah 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 they did that and then just a couple of days after that happened, then he's at Cauliflower Alley Club with a few friends of mine. And, you know, my friends are like texting me from there and telling me like, oh, yeah, there's definitely more to this story. Um, you know, and they didn't want to betray his trust, so they didn't tell me, damn it. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that there's a lot more to the story than what we all know right now, right now. Um but I, I can say that back in the independence, I, I did know him and I, I didn't really care for him because I think he had a big ego back then. Um, I didn't really care for him, met him just the one time and didn't like him. His ego was too big. Uh, is it still today? I have no idea. But did he make a name for himself and did he do well? Of course. Of course he did. Everybody loves him. You know, um, but all these other workers, oh, he's a cancer in the locker room. We don't know what happened. We don't know. And until we do know, I, I can't make an informed decision or opinion, I should say. <laughs> I, I, I can respect that. I know uh, following wrestling, they, we always say there's there's three versions to every story. What, what you know, the, the truth well, I should say four versions to every story, the truth, his version, the other guy's version, and then whatever Dave Meltzer reports. So. <laughs> very much, very much true. Well, that one you get brought right away. <laughs> well, that's what I said. There's two versions. There's Dave Meltzer's reports and the truth. So. Right. True. But uh, Benny, as we wrap up, I mean, great conversation. Brittany, uh, we loved having you on. Uh, last question to you, Benny. What are you thinking? So, Brittany, if, if you had to do it all over again, would you have done it any differently? I wouldn't have done that sunset flip. That's the only thing I would have done differently. Not you wouldn't have pursued WWE or. Nope. Okay. Nope. 
damn it, I had the outfits I wanted to wear. I had 18 different ones designed for me, and that's what I was going to wear. And I'll tell you, to, to end it, the way I looked at it was this. I'm not wearing something that my father would have been ashamed of because he was in the audience. And I wouldn't do that to him. You, you I respected stayed true to that for all those years. I respected him too much to, to go out there and wear something skimpy. So there was that was half of it. And then the other half was I re respected myself too much. And you I know, wanted people to know that I'm there as a wrestler, not TNA. I did see a match where you wrestled as a baby face and you almost looked uncomfortable. Yeah, I was. <laughs> it was like you, you, it was work. I mean, yeah, bad. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yep. The, the is funny. You always hear about the consummate face. It's nice to interview the consummate heel. Yeah, right. <laughs> the real one. I mean, right? it wasn't I mean, that. I've been, I've been a fan of wrestling, following wrestling my whole life. I know, Benny, you've been a few decades more than I have. I don't think I've ever seen a heel move more more heelish than, than running over a homeless person. I don't know about you, but. Hey, don't touch me. <laughs> now, I, 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 I'm sorry to, to, to shine light on that. Like you said, everything seemed he, he was clearly fine. It's just oh, yeah. the, the, the not the nonchalant reminds me uh, an interview I did a couple of years ago on a different uh, I was a guy was a part of a panel on a different show and we were interviewing a, a gentleman who had written a book about his years in the mafia and he just casually while telling the story he's like yeah well, he's the only one of that group I didn't kill like, wait I'm sorry what and I kind of we kind of looked at each other like did, did our guest just randomly confess to three murders and he's like no it's fine we had to deal with the feds and, and he goes into this whole spiel about like why why he was able to get away with it but just so casual you know yeah, I killed three people. It's like, oh, okay, awesome. Uh, now, so you're gonna and let's me, back to the book, you know. You're gonna have to tell me more about that later because my my big interest in life besides insurance and wrestling is true crime. Oh I man, have, I have a true crime memorabilia room, so you're gonna have <laughs> oh, to talk awesome. to me oh, later. We got to we got to chat some more then. That's, yeah, that's you, a you big one. My wife would too. get along great. I think what happened there was uh, Kowalski probably went out and saw the homeless guy. <laughs> and said, if you, if you call the police, I'll finish with that lady that girl started. Exactly. And that's why he didn't call the cops. He put that flower <laughs> up and the guy went running. Right. Yeah. One bad leg. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brady, I know you, you said you're uh, obviously, you know, it's been, it's been years. Um, do you, you, you have anything coming up? Anything you want to share? Um, at where can anybody find you if they want to look up some of your old work? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, there's tons of stuff on YouTube. There is, yes. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. And, you know, I'm on Facebook. That's really, I have Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I can't even call it that. Um, but I'm not really active on there. But I am active on Facebook. I'm on a lot. And I do share a lot of things. And um, we do have an IWF, which is Killer Kowalski's Federation. We have the 10th annual reunion coming up on uh, September 23rd, and Ron Shaw's coming down for that. We have a lot of great people from Walters. We have about 46 people coming, and oh, wow. um, I look forward to that every year because we're all still really, really, really good friends, and I think this reunion that we do annually has really made us 
continue to be um, so much part of each other's lives. In fact, the other day I just went out to, I don't know if you guys know uh, Walter's old ring announcer, Mel Simons. He's also um, on WBZ in Boston. Um, I just had dinner with him Saturday night. And I mean, we're all such good friends from Walter's, all of us are. So we have that reunion coming up and everyone's looking forward to it. Nice. Very cool. Well, again, great show. Um, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the stories. So everyone, um, obviously Dan and Benny in the Ring, we can be found anywhere podcasts can be listened to. Special thank you to our YouTube friends, Monty and the Pharaoh, for the Boston bad girl, Brittany Brown, for the original Long Island Ice B, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time with the ring. Thank good. you.